Hey, friends. It's good to see you again. I'm Brian. I'm Joe. Let's, Let's start, start the show. There's a there's an oncoming oversized load right now. Whoa. Like, that's how we're starting this podcast. Good timing. It's fun. It's... Yeah. Yeah, right here in uh, Big Sandy. Yeah, welcome to uh, episode number four zero. Coming Fody. at you. Fody, Fody. Coming at you on the road. I mean, we're just passing through Big Sandy, but what's up, Big Sandy? What up, Big Sandy? How you doing? My buddy uh, Logan Darlington is from Big Sandy. And then we discussed on the, the bonus episode that we may or may not be releasing, but we discussed on there that this is also where... Wait, no, this is... This isn't Big Sandy. We're in Box Elder. Oh, we're in Box Box Elder. I'm sorry, Big Sandy. What's up, Box Elder? What up, Box Elder? Uh, That's the Lone Tree Casino over there. They used to have uh, a palm tree right in the front, like a fake one with like neon lights on it. It's gone now. Kind of like the hi-ho. It was their Lone Tree. (laughs) Get it? Hilarious. Lone Tree. Maybe there's like a... um, Oh, I've been to that gas station before. Maybe there's like a... um, another bar that wants to compete with them that's called the the friendly tree yeah the so the lone tree they not want, not alone they're like well we're the two tree bar and we only got one tree so we're gonna yeah you want to go to the tree the two tree bar it says we're 85 miles from great falls right now okay i have a feeling this podcast is gonna last last all the way to great falls it was interesting that we could get anything done on the way out here with my little handy cam candy candy recorder not camera oh, sorry hope you like that uh microphone adjustment noise right there sorry about that well and when we're when we're recording you know somewhere stationary not in a moving vehicle you we usually like i'll hit mute or something while we're moving mics oh yeah good thing we're, we're not going to get that this time i might joe does have the board in his lap if you go to our instagram you'll see kind of the setup we're as safe as we can possibly be, but I do feel like if we got in an accident, these microphones do become a projectile. Yeah, this is dangerous. But they're seatbelted in. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, yeah, We're I kind of sp- I kind of have to keep my kind of have to lean a little bit. I got kind of a gangster lean while I'm driving. That's cool. But I like it. This is usually how I drive. <clears throat> I never told you on the way up. There's heated seats. If you want your butt warmed a little bit, you just hit that button right there. Okay. Nah, I'm good. My butt is at a perfect temperature. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I kind of did want to know. And so it was my sneaky way of bringing it up was to tell you about the butt warmers. Just right, if you're wondering. My butt is almost always a good temperature, but I use the seat warmers because if I'm, you know, today we're going to be in the vehicle for almost, you know, three hours, maybe a little over three hours. Mm -hmm. When I get to that two hour mark, it's just nice to kind of loosen up the muscles. Oh. And so I just kind of use it like you would like a heat pad at home. Interesting. You know? Uh, mm-hmm. It keeps me it keeps me limber while driving. I use one of those um, those things that you would give like a really advanced age or elderly person after they got some sort of um, surgery. You told me about this. The, yeah. Like a donut kind of thing. Yeah, the donut, man. Yeah. Yeah, you told me about that. that you, you use mm-hmm. a donut for driving and... I haven't used it in a while because there hasn't been a need for a long trip. But if there was a long trip trip coming up, I'd use it. Pull out that donut. Pull out the donut action. Boom. 
Donut Town. Before we before we hit record, we were talking about the podcast itself. You know, we we're doing some brainstorming as the sole uh, owners of the Get After It podcast of kind of like where we see things going. Yeah. And what we'd like to do to continue to gain listeners. Yeah. And really, what we've decided to do is we're gonna we're gonna develop like a value system. Yeah. Right. Like, like these are the five things we'd like every podcast to do. Right. And and that way, when we before we hit record, we're gonna we're gonna you know whether it's in our head or out loud, we're gonna go through those values just to remind us, like we wanna we wanna be energetic or we wanna, um, you know, get the cool story from whoever we're interviewing or we wanna be entertaining or helpful, and we're gonna say those things to get that mantra. And I'm ex- I'm excited. Yeah, it feels like we're <clears throat> feels like we're getting real serious and getting closer and closer to the um, to the treasure that we've been digging for here in this podcast. Yeah, that might be a um, that might be a little Easter egg hunt. That, it, that could be an Easter egg. Yeah, right there. We're digging for treasure. Digging for treasure. So yeah, in um, the treasure state. This has been uh, so we came up to Haver to get Brian some ammunition in the real world, but while we're doing it we needed some ammunition in our podcast world like ideas you know and it's kind of the same deal we're running out of um you know you see a million podcasts and you're like huh i wonder what's working for them or why they go that way right um that you can only do so much of that research until you're like well let's just we gotta like close the doors and (laughs) close the shades and just like focus on the thing that we're doing and how we're doing it and why and you know all that kind of stuff right i think um i think actually you know it's been it's been unique to watch the the growth of the podcast not not numerically by listeners but you and i as we progress and i feel like almost every five episodes we go through like a little kind of growth period yeah you know where we're like oh we don't want to do that or we do want to do this or you know this is what you know really intrigues us but the main thing is is like we want a podcast that's that's fun for people to listen to but ultimately joe and i want to be able to listen to this podcast yeah we, we want a podcast that that I, I just referred to you but that we want to listen to yeah that. and that's what we're going to put out and hopefully there's there's people all over the world that also enjoy the same things and are intrigued by the same things that Joe and I are. Yeah, how hard could it be just to find out what's interesting about us and then try to record it and deliver it to people that want to hear, you know, whatever. And I think we start with the story of today. I, I ran into this perfect storm mm-hmm. of a problem that I, I divulged on what may end up being the, the, pod, the, the bonus episode, but I shoot a gun. It's, it's a 300 Win Mag which they call the Montana round. It's like, if, if you're going to live in Montana, this would be like the, the premier or the best or the most ideal uh, ammo that you shoot to hunt with because it can take down the smallest of the big game to the largest of the big game that exists here. It can anything from an antelope to a moose. And the problem with that is with it, there's a national ammo shortage going on right now. So I haven't bought ammo in a couple seasons. I bought a few boxes a few seasons ago, and I've just been living off that, which is nice because you don't have to zero your rifle. It doesn't take as long. I, every year I make sure that my, my bullets are still going where they need to, but it doesn't take as many. And, and uh, So anyway, I had to switch ammo 
I, I called around and I knew I wasn't going to find the ammo that I've been shooting. And so anyway, I called around. I called every place in Great Falls that sells ammunition. Nothing. I called every place in Helena, Montana that sells ammunition. None. Not, not, not one bullet that would fit my gun. Wow. And so then my next bet was Haver, which is, you know, almost two hour drive away. Mm-hmm. And we, we were up against, uh, we needed to get a podcast out for tomorrow or for all of you listening today. And if I went to have her, we wouldn't have time to record because you got a show tonight. Yeah, no time. Unless and you want to do one of those really late night ones. Ooh. We've but done them before. They're a little rough. but They, they, we, we they can it. be rough. We've done it before. Mm-hmm. So I, I hit up Joe and I said, listen, man, like we got to, you want to come to have her? <laughs> and Joe being Joe was like, yep. Come pick me up, brother. Let's do it. Yeah. And that's exactly how he said it. He said, come pick me up, brother. Yeah, come pick me up, brother. And they, the North 40, shout out North 40 and Haver, held on to two boxes of ammunition for me. Without All they, all they had was my first and last name. And then when we, when we got there, mm-hmm. I was like, hey, I got some ammo here. And they're like, are you the guy from Great Falls? <laughs> I <laughs> we, was like, that, that is me. We've all been laughing about you. <laughs> yeah, we've all been making fun of you. <laughs> But the reason that this was so detrimental and I had to get it today is tomorrow I'm going on a, a what's, it's, I, you're never guaranteed when you're hunting. You're never guaranteed to get anything. So as close to a guarantee as you can get is what I'm doing tomorrow. Mm. And it's for elk. And elk is, is premier. Like yeah. it's the best meat. It's a lot of meat. When you get an elk, you, you, you're, you're feeding your family. You know, when I get a deer, I'm like, okay, this is a couple months of meat for my family. When I get an elk, I'm like, we're good for the year. Whoa. And so it's, uh, and then also I'm thinking about Christmas, being unemployed Christmas this year. I need to, everybody that doesn't live with me, I need to be able to get them meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like you're getting, you're getting gifts of meat because actually elk meat is like $20 a pound. Like it's, it's expensive if you were going to buy it from like a elk farm. Wow. And if you took all the gas money and camo and gun and, and everything I spend to go hunting, it's probably more than that. Mm-hmm. So if you get a pound of meat for me, just understand that it's like thirty, forty dollars. It's like gold that I'm giving you. Uh-huh. It's worth its weight in gold. And not to mention that elk meat is just—it's just delicious. It really is. It is fantastic. I had to get over my um, distaste for game meat. I had a friend of mine, um, a roommate that was big on game meat. He would love to go hunting. I actually went hunting with him a couple times, and um, he would cook some deer meat. <clears throat> And I wasn't all that, you know, I didn't like it as much. But then I had some elk steaks and I was like, whoa, I mean, you cook these right. And they just, I mean, that just tastes like a good steak. Right. You know, I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is gamey. And and the difference between elk and beef is, you know, beef has a lot of marbled fat in it. And mm-hmm. on a, on a, on a deer and elk, you don't want to eat the fat. The fat, the fat does not taste good. Oh. And even if they, even if the fat did taste good, there's, there's just no fat. Mm-hmm. There's just no fat. So Very when you look lean. at like an elk steak, it doesn't look like a marbled sirloin. Right. You know, um, it, it's just red meat. And so I feel it, it tastes very similar to beef if you took the salty fat out of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you get this. this it's, it's a good flavor, um, but it, sometimes it can be an acquired, you know, game meat can be a little acquired taste. It's different. You, you tried uh, a wiener I made for you. Yeah, the uh, what was what was in there? 
That was, it was either Cajun or Polish. I'm not sure. At the time, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. So was it spicy? I would say it was uh, Polish. So uh, you had a Polish that was a mix between a mule deer dough and a white tail buck. Oh, so yeah. bo- both of those were in there. And then beef fat, which isn't normally what people use for their kielbasas, uh-huh. their wieners. They use pork, but I had a bunch of beef fat, so that's what I used. Mm-hmm. And what, what did you think? It was great. Tasted just like one of those fancy ones that you get from any any of these restaurants in town, you know. So I I haven't eaten one yet, so I'm I'm intrigued. It was good, and I'm glad because that's the first time we've ever done that. Was so my concern mainly has been that that skin, you know the 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 casing, the casing. Thank you. Oh, that is the word. Thank the you. casing might be a little thick. Well, it was okay. Uh, the only thing I noticed was it it did pop open when I boiled it. It did what? It popped open. So the, you know, you t- oh. tie it off on the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it untied itself. No. But did the meat kind of still stay together? Yep. It was okay. All, it was all Perfect. together. Perfect. When you take it out of the smoker, you have to put it into a, a ice water bath. And they say that that's the best way to help it keep its form. Oh, uh-huh. Is as soon as it's done, it gets to the cooking temperature. Rather than letting it rest like you would like a steak or a burger or something, you put it straight into an ice bath. Hmm. And that helps keep its form. And so I did that. Hopefully, it sounds like it worked. It kept its form. Cool. Yeah. I can hear whenever we go over a bump a little bit of a rattle. I think it's this right here. Yeah, most likely. On, on either one of our mics, it's a little tightening knobby. Yeah. I think our listeners are going to be okay with it. They probably, I mean, I was listening to um, a podcast the other day, and it's uh, Bob Schneider's uh, Song Club. It's, it's super funny, but he's just a guy talking and um kind of random stuff but he, he he'll put songs out just random songs every week and um in the background he has random sounds like like sometimes it sounds like someone walking through a bunch of leaves outside and some sticks you know you yeah footsteps sometimes you'll hear um, a police siren and he like does this on purpose going by yeah it's like on purpose i'm like because i was thinking when i first when I first was listening to it, I was like, God, I wish he would close his window. And then I'm like, well, how would I hear? And then it kind of sounds like he's walking somewhere as he's talking because you hear these really loud footsteps. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what is he doing? And it's just, he just likes it. And then, I mean, there's like a choir of kids singing. It, it's weird. It's just, it feels like just random sounds. And who, and who is this guy? His name's Bob Schneider. And is he like, is he like a famous guy? Yeah, yeah. He's a... Uh, well, well-renowned songwriter out of um, Austin, Texas. Used to be married to Sandra Bullock for a little bit. Oh, yeah. So he's made the radio, but I wouldn't say that he's super popular. Not many people know about him unless you're kind of into singer-songwriter stuff. So I, I noticed my voice when you mentioned Sandra Bullock, and I went, "Oh, hey. oh that's my Sandra Bullock." Oh, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's what I did when I found out he was because I I knew him as a kind of a I don't know about small time, but not very well known musician. Uh, from Texas, and then I heard one of his songs on a commercial. Oh, and I think he got one of his songs in one of her movies, and maybe, oh, maybe that's either okay. how they met or they did that after they were dating. And he was like, "Hey, maybe put one of my songs in your in your uh, movie." In and your, that's in your when I said, picture. "Whoa, he's da- he's like dating or married to Sandra Bullock? Holy moly!" So I kind of made the same similar sound. 
Oh, I didn't realize that well, he is uh, Sandra Bullock's level. Okay. I was say, like I, I hope my wife doesn't <laughs> listen back and hear my O oh about Sandra Bullock. Oh, hey. You know, so, babe, if you're listening, I love you. Yeah. But I mean, it's Sandra Bullock. Like you know, hon. Right? Sandra Bullock means nothing. Like she's probably well. She's probably on my wife's list. You know? I mean, maybe. Like, could be on my wife's list. She's not. She's not as big as she used to be. Mm. She was in. You know, back in the the '90s, maybe early 2000s. She was in quite a few movies. Oh yeah. Quite and then a few. now, now not not so many. No, nope. where are you at, Sandra? If you're a listener, give us a review on iTunes and let us know where you're at. Yeah, We're we assume you're listening, Sandra. Yeah, we're we're thinking about you. We are. Oh, oh hey, Sandra. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but the other the other thing we had to do because I have to be prepared to shoot an elk tomorrow is we had to because this ammo is different. And to explain why it's different, the the actual bullet, uh, the thing that that shoots out of the casing of the the ammunition, uh-huh. um, is a different weight. Oh. And so they, they measure that in grains. And so I was shooting a 167 grain. Uh-huh. And now I'm shooting a 180. And so we had to go to a rifle range and and zero my rifle. Mm-hmm. That's what we had to do before we left Haver. And we didn't have very long. Um, I've, I've actually got to go meet my adoptive son that I've never met. And you have a show tonight. Yep. So we needed to be back into town. I need to... Yeah, we're going to be cutting it real close, but we're going to get there. I, I told them that we're going to go, his name's John. We're going to meet John a little after four today. Okay. Um, That's perfect. I need to, I start getting prepared for my show at 530 at about 430. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. so I think it's going to be perfect timing. But you you mentioned something to me that was a that was kind of a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I shot a few rounds and got, got it pretty close. It's a windy day and uh, I didn't want to shoot. <laughs> this this ammo is like uh, two, a little over two dollars a round right oh now, you know, yeah. and uh, so I didn't want to shoot a bunch of rounds, and so we're we're close, we're close, got it pretty close, and then uh, I was like, oh Joe, do you want to shoot around? And yeah. so you're like, oh, uh, yeah, sure, yeah, I guess so. I'll yeah, shoot one off. So uh, Joe got behind the gun, and his his bullet hit like touching the last bullet I shot. At, at 200 yards, which is as good as you want to get. Like, mm. like it, it is. That means that I, I was at the, the right aim point and pulled the trigger right, and that means you did the same thing. Whoa. And that's kind of hard to do consistently mm-hmm. at 200 yards. And then when Joe, Joe, when you got up from shooting, you said, that's my first time shooting through a scope. Yeah. That was, a, that was I was shocked, my huh. friend. I was shocked. Interesting. And I felt almost like a bad friend. Oh. Like, like I want you to have shot, be, you know, looking through a scope. It seemed pretty cool. Like, you can see stuff <laughs> yeah. a, lot, a lot better. Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> is what, did you, what did you think about shooting through a scope for the first time? And, and a 300 win mag, which is a pretty hefty gun to be shooting as well. Yeah. How'd yeah. that go? I know. Well, it was like I could see the target so well. And so I've only done iron sights where it's just whatever my eye can see and line up with a little circle and then a little little nub at the end of the barrel. Right. And so usually what I'm looking at is I'll I'll kind of <clears throat> I'll kind of be looking at my sight, you know, and, and keep that focused and then so the target itself will just be a a uh, 
Like a blur. A blur, yes. Yeah, you. you still know it's there. A shapeless blur almost. Yeah, because the sight is probably two feet from your eye. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, however far out you're shooting and your eyes can't multi-focus like that. Right. And right. so I was taught to just, you know, keep your eyes like that and put put your sight in the middle of that blob, that blurry blob, and um, focus on your breath. You know, if you can hear your heart beats and, and notice that when you can settle and in between those settling points and then I squeezed the trigger and it kicked me back, man. I was like, holy shit, that was a, <laughs> that was quite a kick. Yeah. I was um, a little bit more hefty than I used to fire in the Marines. I think we had a... Five, five, six. Yeah, it or, felt... Uh, what the, we would call it in the United States is a two twenty three. It felt like a twenty two round. You know what I mean? Like a little... Yeah, it is. Ping. It's just barely bigger than a twenty two. Yeah. What we would shoot in the military. So it was loud and it had a little kick, but it wasn't like firing that rifle that I just... Your rifle. Your rifle was just like, hey, I'm a rifle. That goes, <laughs> that goes bang. You know, the, in the military, oddly enough, those those weapons that, well, your, your regular enlisted person would get, um, they, they sound like... Or yep. pop, yep. and they, they don't kick. There's no kick, you know. You don't feel like yeah. I mean, maybe you put it on three round burst and go pop, 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 pop and that that feels kind of cool. Yeah. But I mean, you can hold it one handed and do that, and it's not gonna not gonna kick back too much. Yeah, I don't think you're holding my rifle with one hand. No, I wouldn't. I mean, try it can that. be done, I'm sure, but I, I don't know that I would do it from standing. Like that thing kind of kicked me. I was like, holy shnikes. Yeah, that was a so, kick. so you notice on the front of my gun, that's those are bipods. Okay, that's what they're called. Um, that they, they hold the front of it up. Handy. Yeah, definitely handy, and they actually extend a little bit, so I can actually shoot that gun with the bipods while sitting. Oh, cool. But I would, I personally, unless the target is only fifty yards or less out, I am not huh. shooting from the standing position. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, it's it's sitting or or prone, and preferred prone, mm -hmm. and uh, and so yeah, I'd, that's it's just interesting because you know you and I we've talked about our differences a bunch, but uh -huh. everybody I hang out with has shot a rifle, yeah, you know, and has gone to the range and owns a rifle, uh -huh. and uh, and so now that you and I are hanging out, you're like you're like my dude that that doesn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't do any of that stuff yeah not that i'm not interested i've even mentioned to melanie that maybe we could go and um fire off some rounds at a range because i just let her know that you know whether or not you like guns or whatever your politics are like if you get you know a good instructor and he shows you how to use something that you're not afraid of and then you get to pull off a few rounds and then you hit the target it really is fun oh totally just, fun just so fun so you know but it never did happen Maybe, you know, maybe I'll talk her into it. And I think I think what we should do for you and your wife is uh, you can get uh, a shotgun. Mm -hmm. And not you get a shotgun, but we can get um, these, uh, they're called a 20 gauge. Okay. Uh, which sounds bigger than a 12 gauge because the number's higher, but it's actually smaller. Okay. And so the, the kick isn't bad. But what's really fun is we could uh, get some clays. Which are just the little frisbees, right? That you, uh -huh. you throw out, and I'm not explaining that to you. I'm explaining. Hopefully, anybody listening, we're not leaving them behind, right? You know. And so, a shotgun isn't one singular bullet going out. It's it kind of sprays little pellets, mm. and it's for duck hunting and upland game bird hunting, and and so you you throw these clays much like a frisbee in front of somebody with the shotgun, and then 
the person with the shotgun shoots them and they explode in front of you. Cool. Very rewarding. Mm. Very rewarding. And I think right now probably shotgun ammo would be a little bit cheaper than everything else. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, we might be able to do that. That's something I could probably pull off uh, for, for both you guys. And I, I know a little bit about guns. I could, I could confidently take you guys out and, and get you get you hit in a clay cool and even if we don't throw them you can you can put the clays on the ground in front of you and, and explode them that way too they don't have to be a moving target oh yeah i think i've shot clays before oh that's fun i have this memory of shooting clays gosh i can't remember where i'd even done that at maybe with my dad oh okay yeah okay. we might have walked around like a range where you could just hit a button and then a clay pigeon would go Phew. absolutely yeah they have uh little stations that you can go to and sometimes even like paved sidewalks you walk on and it's like yeah. oh this is station two and then you hit the button and it shoots out the clay and you try to shoot it yeah totally cool there's a there's a trap club up uh, uh up by the airport we'll just say up by the airport um it's far enough away from the airport where you're not shooting at planes but it's right. up that direction in great falls we could even you know go up there and it's not too expensive to to shoot up there Trap club. Nice. The trap club. Sounds like you're doing something hip. It does. Isn't there a thing called trap music? I think so. Yeah. I'm a musician and I don't know any I don't know anything about like people assume that I know just I have this wide breadth of knowledge about I do. most music and I yeah. just I just don't. I have little pockets where I'm very good and you can ask me certain questions and you will probably get close to a right answer, but other genres, I don't know people that play in bands i don't know like i got some friends who uh who just live and breathe by um by professional wrestling and like no matter how many times we've had this conversation they'll say you haven't heard of jimmy super snickerfly whatever (laughs) and i'm like no i just i I didn't watch he won he won two golden goose belts yeah do you remember when he did this thing against um andre the giant which i I do recognize that name and then this other and i'm like no i'm sorry and they get so mad like you wouldn't know (laughs) right are you kidding how do you not know I'm not in your world. I'm not yeah, because when you world. said, "Isn't there a type of music called trap?" I was shocked a little. My 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 heart went kabloop. Yeah, because like, uh, I was like, "How does Joe not know this?" I'm the guy that assumes you know everything musical always. Yeah, and then when I'm asking you, and you're like, "That's a crazy question for you to ask me," just <laughs> <laughs> like like you're asking you're asking me. Mm-hmm. That's not safe. I mean, <laughs> shouldn't be asking me anything about music. I found my clarinet. Really? I found not my clarinet. My uh, recorder. You have a recorder, awesome! Like a, it's like a flute. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I thought about busting it out because I, I, I had, so the reason I thought of this is I assumed when I found it, and it was just the other day. I was uh-huh. looking for my high school diploma so I could turn in my packet for the sheriff's department. Uh huh. And um, in that same tote, I found my recorder, and I immediately Gosh. thought of you, and I was like, Joe could play this. Yeah. Like, I feel like you could just pick it up and play it. I tried. Uh-huh. I know I could play Mary Had a Little Lamb at uh-huh. one point. And so I started playing around with it a little bit. I, I can't. I yeah. can't. My, my brain, because I'm, I'm so far separated from it, my brain just doesn't work that way anymore. Uh-huh. And and I couldn't, I couldn't even get Mary Had a Little Lamb. But I thought it'd be fun. Uh, the next time we record in the garage, I'll pull that thing out oh, yeah. and have you 
no practice, yeah. see what you can do with it. I'll just it. see what I can do. Yeah, I you thought that would be fun. You know, that reminds me of something I wanted to bring up from an episode or two ago when we were kind of talking about how um, my saxophone player, Jay, Jay Davison. Yeah. Um, with, uh, we were kind of, Josiah was kind of thinking like, well, maybe the saxophone is one of those instruments that you, that it's just, you know, it's, it's made to go into the, and you can just put it into any song. If, if you know what you're doing and know what you're doing. And, yeah. and that's what I was going to say. I wanted to, I wanted to say like Jade practices so much, like he will put on the radio and just, you know, and, and then try to add things intelligently to whatever songs you know and and to be able to do that is a skill it is a thing that not like riding a bike you so <laughs> so he should totally start making reels doing that uh-huh. because there's a guy i've seen a few times on instagram reels and you know tiktok same thing uh-huh. that um he he's like the title of the video is like needlessly adding saxophone to oh yeah commercials or or something and so i, th- I think jay that's his name, right, Jay? Yeah. Okay. I think Jay needs to find his little niche in that where, yeah, it's just commercials. And so a commercial that people would know and he needlessly adds saxophone to it. Yep. And it just it's just cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And some of that guy's videos had like hundreds of thousands of views on them. Oh, because it's so fun. Every, it's so much fun. Everyone likes the saxophone. And when you hear it and, and someone play it in a way that adds to the song, like there's no one who doesn't like it. It's just... It reminds of everyone of um, Lisa Simpson. Oh yeah, you know if you yeah. if like if you are an American and were a kid at one point and watched the the Simpsons, you have some sort of affinity for the saxophone. That maybe I think you, so. That maybe I think you can't so, yeah. explain, but it's because of Lisa Simpson because she made it sound so cool. You know, yeah. she was playing with Bloody Gums Murphy. Yep. Remember that episode? Yep. Warmed your heart. It did. Um. But anyways, yeah, so I was going to mention that um, he's, the saxophone is not an easy instrument. It's actually, there's a, a couple of keys, like B flat and E flat and F, I believe, out of the 12 keys um, that are that are a little bit better suited to the capabilities of a saxophone. So I try to keep that in mind, you know, uh, but he doesn't okay. need it. He, he can just go, oh, what, what, what chord are we in and can do stuff intelligently through the whole song, so... So yeah, and I guess I guess I never I, I didn't think of like trying to minimize anything he's done. I I really wanted the I'm not even apologizing right now. I'm just saying uh, like yeah. like I you have to be super good at any instrument to be able to just jump in like yeah. he he's done to to be good and sound good. Yeah. You have to you, you like you just know that person practice more than the average person. Yeah. Like I can I can do what he's doing on guitar, but it will sound five times worse because I, I know what I'm doing. I can do, I can do it, but I, the, to be practiced is just not, you know, I'm not practiced. I got, you got to do that stuff every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or, or some sort of, uh, like, you know, when you're trying to learn anything five minutes a day and, um, it's actually kind of an interesting thing to be able to improvise like that on your instrument is, um, it's like what jazz people think is the best thing that you can do. On the other end of the spectrum, the musical spectrum, is the, the classically minded people who think that um, being able to perform things from a written page that were written by a genius is the best thing that you can do in the highest form of music. And so there's yeah, this- Yeah, you can, you can not have practiced, mm-hmm. but read the music and play it. Yeah. 
because that's a whole other language you're learning. Yep, and, and it's and it's and you're speaking it through an instrument, not through your vocal cords. You know, unless you're singing, I guess. But yeah, and then so me personally, as a as a nubile listener, you know, someone that doesn't know a bunch about music, I feel it would be harder to do what Jay's doing. Yeah, they're. I mean, they both require certain things. Like uh, to be a classically trained person that can read music, it's just kind of like learning to type. You know, the, yeah. the letters are there. You just have to have enough muscle memory to quickly get to them. And so, um, you remember, you remember the Mavis Beacon? Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was called. Was the learn how to type software? Yeah. yeah. There's also a job that you can get that's like the higher paying construction job that uh-huh. sounds just like that. Oh, Mavis Bacon or something. Oh, it's from the Mavis. Yeah, it's like the Mavis Bacon. <laughs> right. Fund and so every something. time someone's like, "Oh, I'm on, the, I'm on a Mavis Bacon job," oh. I'm like, oh, "You're typewriting? You're typewriting? Like, what? That's you're cute. trying to learn the keyboard?" <laughs> I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. And I can't, like, yeah, I can't remember what it's what is exactly called, but that's interesting. But um, and so there's good things about both of them. So without the written word, we would lose music. You know. We, we, there's no way we could remember every note to yeah. Mozart's stuff, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's good that we have that. And it's great that we have people that hold that in super high regard. Uh, I also love it. Like, you know, as a musician that just wants to play music and I'm not, I guess, all that worried about preserving every single note for the whole world. I just want to be able to do it. And, uh, I feel like I, it, it looks like you can ex- express your emotions in such a really cool and entertaining way when you can just improvise, yeah. you know, in, in a yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what, that's, that, that's maybe better is that like I feel more attached to the music when somebody can just, you know, you get the guitar solo or the drum solo. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of those solos, because they've done them so many times in the same spot during the song, they, they might be written out. Mm-hmm. But like, it feels so organic and, and like, motivating because they're motivated i don't know how to say that any different but yep you can feel the passion when you know yeah 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 yeah. when you know jay's getting up there and he hasn't practiced with you at all i wish i would have been there for that exact moment because yeah there's just so much passion and and love for the the art form comes out when when somebody's just jumping in like that yeah and it creates all these cool opportunities and also um, obstacles because now that we've added another voice to the band it's like the human ear can only hear one or two things at once. Yeah. You know, and so I've got to keep that in mind. And so it was, it was hard that night when we were all playing. I was like, oh, why can't I hear this? And why can't I hear that? And, you know, some of the guys were um, asking for a little bit more, you know, more volume in their monitor so they could hear themselves a bit better. And um, I was talking with another local musician and he was like, well, you might not have a volume problem. You might have a um, frequency problem. Like, so if the piano player who has, you know, 88 keys can go all the way down and play um, notes that are actually in the bass realm. Well, every time he plays a bass note while you're playing maybe the same or similar bass note in that same frequency, you guys are canceling each other out. Yeah. And you can't hear either very well. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so now I have this this game plan of talking with the band and being like, okay, guys, we got to like, just keep this in mind. Like, here's where the kick drum needs to be. Here's where, um, here's where the other thing needs to be. But then when everyone is taking a solo, well, we're all kind of trying to be the, the lead vocalist. So that's why we need to make sure and give each other space and be really aware of this. So we're not trying to fight each other with volume all night. Because then at the end of the night, you just got this loud 
hard to control, you know, cacophony of, of sounds. Well, and I, I noticed that there was maybe one or two songs where, where you could see that you were highlighting an instrument mm -hmm. and maybe it wasn't even on purpose. It's just how the song goes. But yeah. there was, there was times like that. And it's, I mean, it's just like harmonizing voices, right? Like not everybody does the same note. You're right. usually, you know, you're going an octave higher, octave lower, uh -huh. singing a little off tempo uh -huh. because when you're in a choir, all you're doing is adding volume. You're not adding any more depth when you have seven bass singers because they're all doing the same note. Mm -hmm. And so it's very similar with instruments. Mm -hmm. If they're doing the same note, you're adding volume, not depth. Uh -huh. There's some sheep. Whoa. I wanted to point that out. We're, we're in the town of Loma now. And Ma's Loma is on the right. Pa's Loma Mart is on the left. Oh, we got to come out here for... I think they have a... Um I was told that there's a Mexican food night, or maybe like a taco. That's what this is. Maybe it's like Taco Tuesday. Yeah, so Ma's, uh, I think it's Thursdays, is their Mexican night. Uh -huh. The the owner of this, his name is Greg, uh -huh. and Greg married a an authentic Mexican gal. And he was coming to Loma to guide people for hunting uh -huh. and opened a restaurant instead. There you go. And Ma does the majority of the cooking. You know, I was thinking as far as... Um, like it's it, a, uh, just one more thing. It's mm -hmm. the most authentic Mexican you can get within a couple hours of Great Falls. Yes, and getting authentic Mexican um, in this state... Very difficult. It's tough. <laughs> like fresh seafood. It's mm -hmm. pretty hard to find. It's really, really tough. Um, so I was thinking, um, like, if this podcast doesn't work out... Uh, <laughs> I know I always bring it back to cooking, but there was... Um, have you ever been to Pizzazz? I think you have. Oh, it's one of my favorite places. Okay. Actually, I was, uh, this won't be a surprise anymore, but I was thinking, I know I told you that for Christmas I'm getting you some jerky. Okay. Okay. So that, that already wasn't a surprise. Okay. But I had thought about buying us uh, a double date night at uh -huh. Pizzazz because they do cooking classes there. Okay. So this is exactly my idea. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, um, and, and by the way, Pizzazz, you guys are awesome. Sarah, um, you are the best. Um, thanks for being so just you. Just thanks for being you. Yeah. So um, I, I, I happened into Pizzazz, and I think I've told this story before. And um, I think it was, it might have been Sarah or maybe someone else working there. They were like, hey, you got to come to one of these classes. They're, yeah. just, they're just fun. And sometimes we don't have, you know, every seat full. So if you just call, you know, I'll get you set up. And so I did. I was like, this is cool. And it was for a couple of weeks out and I kind of forgot about it. And then I w was reminded that day and I was like, yeah, cool. So I go down there and um, I had happened upon somebody else's like, you know, it was a group of people um, from Shelby. It was the, um, the Shelby's Ladies Book Club. And so when I sat down, they were all kind of looking at me weird, but it was really cool. You know, the lady, um, I think her name was Susan, simply, simply Susan. Um, she she did uh, something she she served us i got to eat and i gabbed with all these super funny ladies who were just thought it was hilarious that i would show up to their girls only <laughs> right dinner right. or lunch or whatever right. they were doing yeah uninvited uninvited um shout out to the um, shelby woman's book club who i am an honorary member of first male in history so that's a boom i know i know i should put that on a t-shirt yeah you should definitely get a t-shirt but i was thinking what if we talk to those guys and we figure out this is next year probably next year hunting season and we figure out um uh like a, an amount like a cut of meat that you would be able to get and then we could figure out a thing that then i would cook 
you know, like I could cook them this and you could be there helping and, and telling us about where you went and the animal and stuff. And if you want to come out with me I, and for this much money, I could be a guide for you and we could go out and blah, blah. I don't know if you ever have wanted to be a, a hunting guide, but I, I always thought that that would be a kind of a cool gig. Okay. To, to all right. I'm, money. I'm running with this idea because, um, all of it I love. Mm-hmm. People have a hard time cooking game meat. And so you said you, you like had to, sh- you, you kind of shied away from eating game meat, right? Correct. Um, it's because they didn't cook it right. Right. That's absolutely it. You're so used to cooking. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to sound like down on American food, but all of our, our chicken, our turkey, our pork, our, our, our cows yeah. are all, they're finished. And what that means is, is for the last few weeks of their life, they're brought to a feedlot and, and they're finished on a, on a good tasting grain or grass. So if you've, you've grass fed, grass finished beef is apparently the best. Yeah. Um, but they'll at least finish the beef for the last few weeks of their life to get the meat tasting and the fat tasting as good as possible. Mm-hmm. And you can almost tell what something's been finished on by the color of the fat. Oh. Venison does not have that. They eat what's there, you know, sage. You know, or, or if yeah. you get a, a pheasant, which is very close to, to chicken, uh-huh. uh, you get a pheasant, like it's been eating grasshoppers and, and, and seeds and, and different things. And so the cooking method is not the same. And what, what, if, you, if you cook an elk steak or a deer steak the same way you cook a cow steak, it is going to be overdone. Uh-huh. It's going to be dry. It's going to be chewy. And it's not going to taste good. Uh-huh. And so it's very important that people, I feel, if they want to get into hunting, the most important thing for them is to first learn how to eat it, how to cook it. Yeah. And, uh, and so what I've wanted to do to tie in with what your idea is here uh-huh. is I wanted to start my own side biz mm-hmm. where someone could come with me and it's, it's going to be expensive. Okay. Yeah. But you come with me and with this package deal, you get, by the end of it, you get a, a rifle that you can shoot. Uh-huh. I will teach you how to shoot an animal, how to stock up on an animal, shoot it, how to process it in the field, uh-huh. how to process it once you get home, uh-huh. and and then how to, to finally get something on your plate that tastes good. Uh-huh. And, and so I've thought about this. And so maybe the starting point for that is this class you're talking about, yeah. where we just bring in a couple, um, you know, roasts mm-hmm. and teach people how to, to cook game meat, and then they could do it on their own. Yeah. And then from there, it's just like, hey, so next year I have two openings. It's going to be $2,000. Yep. By the time you're done, you get a rifle and some ammo, and you'll know how to use said rifle, how to find public land to hunt on, how to mm-hmm. get your tags. Like, you'll know everything by the time you're done. Yeah, I think it's a winner. I mean, your idea is already so close to mine. Because that's another thing that I was uh, I would couple that with is, like, why not partner with Lindy? who's like kind of got that business, but it's not busy all the time, but he's got all this stuff already invested. So you could maybe do, you know, whatever, you know, there's, there's a couple different ways to go for it. But the, the one that intrigued me the most was like the fancy dinner at the end of the hunting, you know, let's have some wine, let's our beers or whatever. And then let's cook this thing in such a way, kind of like the meat eater show. I noticed he was doing like stuff that really looked delicious. It's so good. And the only reason I've ever tried what's called Asabuco. Yeah. Um, which is bone in um, shank is what it's called. It's it's just the uh, essentially the forearm uh-huh. of any of the limbs, and you cut it into four pieces 
width-wise. So then when you're looking down on it, it's like a circle with a bone in the middle. Uh-huh. And the reason you cook it this way is because there's so many um, connective tissues, tendons and things. You cook it really, really, really slow. Uh, low and slow is what they call it. And then that meat just falls off the bone. Uh-huh. Another meal that I definitely want to do for you is, is asabuco. And I have several shanks at home. It wouldn't take very long. Um, man. We just we're just full of ideas. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I like this idea, and I like the way that we can we can think in a year ahead, you know, because this is something that if we just wanted to try at Pizzazz, we're talking, you know, we get a little a day that we're gonna do it, a little bit of logistics, maybe we could try to invite certain particular people and then market it a little because there's only like ten or fifteen seats there. Yeah, and we just do this little class. Um, we're both pretty good at talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can maybe within that have like this little pitch of like, hey, we've got this many spots available for this next year's hunting spot. They cost this much. And that can be just the beginning. And we can have the pictures from that dinner, you know, and say, hey, yeah. this is what you would end with. Yeah. But this is our idea. We would like to um, be at a place that looks nice. We'll cook a meal that looks like this. But here's the other cool stuff about it. And, you know, the teaching and the guns and the firing and the, if you're out of state, shoot, you know, a tour, a tour of that little area in Montana, who knows? Right. right. But then, but then when you're done with that for that month or month and a half or whatever hunting is, mm-hmm. well then cool. Hopefully you've made a, a good amount of money that just kind of makes sense that you can kind of do what you want, skip onto the next project, whatever it would be. Take a break, maybe, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because that'd be a really busy, really, really busy. I'm noticing um, hunting season is busy for people who just even enjoy hunting. They just like it and go do it. Right. It and seems I, so time consuming. It is very time consuming. And so, like, you know, you and I were trying to plan when to do the this podcast we're doing right now. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, just let me know when you're available because I'm going to be hunting around that. Like, uh-huh. I'm just going to I'm going to be going out. And uh, for the last week, I've been trying to fill the same tag. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I don't have private land. I've got to hunt on public land. And on the weekends, it gets pretty hammered. And so the, the animals move off. Oh. Then you give them a couple days, they move back on. And, and it's just, there's a lot of uh, intricacies that unless, like, you... Joe came with me. Uh-huh. It's hard. To, it's hard for me to explain, but uh, yeah, hunting does take up some time, uh, and that's another part of it. Like to have a second person there with you to take those pictures, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what people would want. They would want pictures of themselves. Like I would be your 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 picture guy. I would imagine maybe in this scenario, like we would be like, okay, Joe, you know, the the cost of everything is super expensive because it comes with you know two guides. One of them being the photographer that's going to be giving you all of your keepsakes, you know uh-huh. what I mean? And all uh-huh. the, all the memories. And we could maybe even have a little editing thing. That's super quick and easy that we get done for them. And they just have this little, little Apple clips style music in the background, but little slideshow, you know, they could show them like shooting their rifle for the first time. Yeah. Um, getting their first game animal, uh-huh. carrying that game animal out. Yeah, it'd be this whole life cycle of what happened in those four days. But the, the problem is, the only problem with all of this is that uh, unless you have a piece of private land, so my yep. the reason I haven't started this is like, I'd really like a piece of land that I'm the only one that's hunting out there. Oh. And it's it's not even just my person. It's not, I'm not going to hunt out there for personal reasons. Uh-huh. It's just strictly for this, you know, business adventure. And, and you know, they would have a, a good population of deer that... Only three times a year are people out there hunting to really, really try to guarantee somebody an animal because, you know, I've been hunting personally for me 
for a week, you know, yeah, and and haven't gotten one. I see what you mean. So, so that's the hardest part of it is like you'd almost have to have some leftover animals. <laughs> that like, hey, like you, I know you didn't get one, but here's what you can take with you. Here's oh a, yeah, you know, a hindquarter that you can take home, and then next year we'll try to get you an animal. But right. we'll show you, you know, we'll show you what it all this entails. But I'd really like to bring somebody through the whole process because uh, you had mentioned, you know, having Melanie go out to the range with you. Uh-huh. I, I think when people, you know, there might be some people listening to this right now that are just like, well, why hunt when? You know, you're hurting an innocent animal or why hunt when you can just go to the grocery store and there's so much um, fulfillment in practicing and, and seeing a job done and then the when I eat the meat that like from point A to point B I know everywhere that it went and that I I did everything in the process uh-huh. it, it just tastes different man mm-hmm. and it's all a mental thing and it doesn't actually taste different but it, it just it, it tastes better Maybe you appreciate it more. Right. And so I'd love to bring new people into hunting. Maybe they never want to hunt again, but they're going to have a new perspective when they hear me talking about hunting. They're going to be like, oh, wait, I've done that now. Yeah. I see how hard it is. I see that like that animal got the most, because you you know, you practiced with your rifle, you zeroed with it. They got the most honorable death possible. Um, the quickest death because in the wild, they're going to die from coyotes, starvation, old age. It's going to be a very long many times horrific death and actually so when a hunter shoots a deer no matter what that deer's not living forever and so you're you're taking this deer very surprisingly if you're a good hunter it doesn't even know you're there and so it's not scared and then the the when it's shot with a bullet or an arrow it it goes so fast that they don't even know if the animal's feeling much pain i mean of course if you get a bad shot or whatever you end up wounding the animal yes it is but most of the time you can look at the animal and they just try to go on with their own business until they run out of blood or air. And yeah. so you're giving them this very, it's probably the best death that they could get. Yeah. And so it, it's not this gruesome, horrible thing. And that's actually, um, you, you see online the, the gripping grins that people do, right? Yeah. Even even myself, I'm, I'm guilty of, of taking this picture next to this animal I've killed. And if you haven't done it before, it looks like this morbid uh, bad thing. Yeah, yeah. The the hardest part for me in hunting is always knowing I'm taking a life. Yeah, it it is it is the most difficult. And and there's and I've I've killed a hundred a hundred animals. I don't I don't know. And even even now, when that animal is going down, the the fifteen to thirty seconds it takes from when I pull the trigger till it's dead, it's horrible. Like, like yeah. you do not feel this glorious moment. Um, it's, it's a bad feeling. You know you've taken a life. And so then from that point moving forward in the hunt is, is the respect of the animal part where I want to get to it as fast as I can. I want to make sure. And so that's why I don't want people going out there without the experience is because if, if you don't know how to take that animal apart and get it home and save all that meat, you could be then wasting. You, you end up just wasting that life. And the deer would have been better off getting eaten by coyotes because you're going to end up, you know, throwing away meat or something. Yeah. It's going to spoil. And and, uh, and so I'd love to be able to walk people through that whole process. You know, um, that, that kind of gives me an idea. So if the problem is, is that we don't have private land to kind of guarantee a good, a good hunt, uh, maybe we could find people with private land 
yeah. and then tailor what we do for like vets and underprivileged kids say so um you know and that would maybe pull on some pull on some landowners heartstrings and then we could maybe get a calendar going with them so before uh i moved to glasgow to become a youth pastor uh-huh. i spent that six months trying to build a nonprofit doing exactly that really yep um i actually had a guy wow. out of we're getting ready to come up on fort benton here did we no we just passed by fort benton and uh, there was a guy in fort benton that was gonna buy me a forty thousand dollar jet boat oh um, because I was gonna, I was gonna take everybody out of Loma, okay, and either um, fishing and teach them how to catch fish, and then same thing you would do with a deer, you know, to then harvest that animal to be able to eat it. Yeah. And I wanted to take people on these little day trips on the river, or you can actually hunt from the river as well. Okay. And so cool. I felt that if someone was uh, immobilized, if they were in like a wheelchair or they had, uh, you know, a prosthetic limb of some sort, uh-huh. of it's illegal in the state of Montana to hunt from a moving boat, but if the boat is stationary, you can hunt from the boat. And so I thought about getting um, wheelchair lifts that could bring people into the boat and have a flat front on it, and you could mount them into the, the wheelchair. And it, they'd only be in there while it's time to, to hunt. You know, the, the boat isn't moving. When the boat is moving, they'd be safely in a seat and, right. you know, life jacket on. But then you'd move them up into the wheelchair that'll have a... a a mount for the gun uh-huh. so that the gun is, is stationary pretty stationary as well but they're still doing all of the work of pulling the trigger and, and aiming and all of that and so it's just a little you know tripod for it I don't, I don't know the right word I'm, I'm thinking of here but a mount, a mount to hold the gun and it was uh, you can just go along the river and when you find a deer you pull the boat over and, and let that person shoot it and so yeah I, uh, what you're mentioning right now six years ago I was 30% of the way Whoa. and I had a, a to, in order to get people on a guided trip in Montana on a boat you have to have a captain's license okay or you have to be underneath a captain and so I found a, a guy out of um, the Flathead region the Flathead Lake over there Kalispell uh-huh. that was going to let me go underneath his captain's license hey. and yep. and so I, I, I was quite a ways as you can tell I was yep. kind of quite a ways along the, the process and then I got an offer I got offered the job in Glasgow and I mean to be completely honest that was just easier for me yeah rather than taking the chance and investing a bunch of money and starting a nonprofit, it was way easier for me to go be a youth pastor with a guaranteed salary yeah and so I, I I stopped motion on that. Do you do you have those files that I could that I could sift through to see where? Oh, you're absolutely at? not. None yeah, of them. Yeah, no, okay. I, I would have none of that. We'd Golly. have to I have to start all from scratch again. Well, then actually that was about where we stopped was actually forming the the LLC or three five hundred one three C. Okay, that's what that we didn't get to filing any paperwork there. Okay, and so. You know, I really wouldn't have much paperwork. I, I wouldn't be able to even get in contact with the guy that was going to buy me the boat. Uh. But you and I both worked in nonprofits. We know how easy it is to find generous donors. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I, I like to look into things like this because it kind of like, um, it satisfies my need to, to have like logical projects before me. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I, if I just do what I'm doing, well, maybe I'll go this way. But if I can look into this... And it just so happens that we could um, open up our own nonprofit, um, run it the way we think it needs to be run, and um, and then and then just make sure to write grants and have donors 
to, to, to keep it all going. Um, yep. Like I've been looking for an opportunity like that. The thing I didn't like about the nonprofit world was I wasn't in charge of it. You know, there yeah. was, there's too many gatekeepers, way too many people that had been executive directors for way too long and were completely just, they didn't know what they were doing, but they've had the job and no one's going to fire them, you know? Right. And so I'm like, well, I guess the only thing that I can do, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to work your way through the ranks and become an executive director. That's very rare. I know a person, Jordan, actually, who might be doing it pretty soon, but um, she's a, she's a gem. Um, but there's people like, there's people like us that have these skills that have worked in nonprofit type of jobs. Me specifically, I've worked at, at a nonprofit or two. And um, I've, I've often kind of uh, kept, kept the people that I really liked in touch with, you know, like there's people that you work with and you're like, well, it's not just that you work in nonprofits. You are just a really valuable person. And I like the way you think about things. And if I ever had my own nonprofit, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I'd want you on my team. Right. Right. That's what I'm, th- I'm, I'm, so I'm, that's one of the things on the horizon that I'd like to, I, cause I could easily do the paperwork like that, that whole paperwork thing and working with the state and all that nonsense. That's so, that's literally so easy. It's almost an afterthought, which is the hardest part for me. Right. And so that's what I was thinking. I was like, well, maybe, maybe Brian and I could like help each other because you've got a lot of skills. Um, and I've got a lot of, um, know how. I don't know. I'm not saying it that, that <laughs> right. Because right, both those are skills. It's the same thing. Yeah, we have, we both have skills, but in, in unique areas and, and they complement each other, which is why we started doing this podcast together, my yeah. friend. Yeah. Like, you know, um, when, like when I go to a new, a new business, you know, something like that, I'm always known as the guy that will pick up the phone and because apparently that guy is rare and, and I'm the guy that's like, oh, we, we need an answer to something and someone has that knowledge. Well, I'll just call directly over to that person. And if they don't call me back, well, then I'll just call again and send a million really nice but annoying emails to let them <laughs> know that I'm not going away until I get this answer. Right. And that, I mean, uh, I'm kind of like the annoying kid at the front of the class in that way, too. Like when, you, when you're like that, when you're like, oh, you guys have a problem and you just didn't call this person? Huh, well, I'll just go do it. <laughs> And so I, I think uh, there's one aspect that I, I want to tie into this uh, as we're divulging to everyone uh, nonprofit we're going to start that we didn't talk about previously. Yeah, ever. A, nope, never. Um, so as we start this nonprofit, I also want to want you to be aware that there is a two day period in Montana where youth get to hunt and no one else does. Cool. Uh, the youth, well, I could still bow hunt if I wanted, but okay. the youth rifle hunt is, uh, you know, a couple of days before the the actual opener. Hey, okay. And so what I did when I was a youth pastor here in town is any fatherless youth that needed to go hunting was coming with me. And cool. so we would, we would take sometimes, I think the biggest year I had was seven. And uh, for that, those two days, we had people that would donate ammo. We had people that would donate the snacks. We had people that would donate the guns. We had, and so the weekend before, uh, all the kids would come up and we'd go to the range for a couple hours and they'd, I'd make sure they all knew how to shoot and um, could at least, you know, hit the vitals of a, a deer. And then uh, we would kind of schedule out who's hunting when. And sometimes we just had all seven of them with us, you know. Oh. But then uh, we could get on this private land that was excellent hunting and Mm -hmm. these these kids were able to then bring uh, a deer home uh, that uh, normally they wouldn't be able to 
and you know now seeing where my life's gone I, I wasn't fostering at that time but now you know fostering I would love to bring um, children that, that don't have someone in their life that can that can take them out I don't want to say just fatherless there's motherless and moms can take kids out too you know mm-hmm. um, but just that you know what it, with the kids that we took out it ended up being mainly boys maybe one girl came out with us um, mainly boys but they their mom was working full-time uh-huh. and had never hunted before but when you bring a single mom an entire processed deer home they, they cry yeah especially Whoa. if their son is the one that shot it man yeah. and, and then that boy you know you gain a relationship some of these kids i'm still friends with you know like uh-huh. they're they're adults now but still friends with them some of them still hunt uh actually one of them i took out on his his first hunt just put a picture up of his uh his elk he got this year whoa and he got a bull elk and i've never gotten a bull elk whoa and so to see like someone not only um you know keep going but then also like i would say um rise above even my skill level and, and has has gotten a, a bull elk that was that was a pretty good feeling wow that's cool i mean and this this idea of creating like our own thing has been weighing on me you know because i know that we have the skills to do it yeah and i just feel like i don't want to let um another glasgow situation you know um, make us think differently so you know if you're going to get a job that's a full-time job mm-hmm. just know that i'm going to try to make you quit that job with, yeah with yeah. with um, with enticing you with like hey remember that thing that you just love to do and would just love to get paid to do it and we can be in charge of most of the decision making yeah that would be right that's everything right there isn't it yeah and so if you could just get that first two hundred thousand dollars so we could both have a salary we could okay. do that the next month I won't even. I won't even get another job. Okay. I can so do you that. just you just let me know. That's a t- man. I don't know about that time frame, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking like if I was going to do this, I would uh, get together with you. We'd write up something like a mission statement, basically what it is, so I would know how to fill out grants because I can fill out grants pretty easy. Um, there there are certain ones that just kind of give to things like that, so I'd seek those guys out first. Yep. Um, and I think that would be where we would start is we, we would start something um, and then we would say we are and we're as we are a new entity, we're looking to do something, um, you know, 12 months from now. So we're writing grants now and we're looking for donations now, you know, um, and then we you know keep doing what you're doing because looking for donations and doing that sort of stuff is you can kind of do that in your off time, kind of like being on a board of directors. Right. You know, one of those deals. But then once we get that whatever number of the amount of money that we would need to kick things off. One million dollars. One million. Yeah. Then I'm hoping that one of us can go full-time or maybe both of us go part-time. You know, right. where we devote, well, this is the 20 hours every week that we're in an office and we're doing this process because hopefully in this much time we're not going to need to do anything else. We well, can just every day raise money for cool things to do. And so there has to be a level to it that's beyond the hunting aspect then because, yeah. the, you know, hunting's only you know six seven weeks in montana where you can use a rifle and so there'd have to be a level of like ice fishing or or fishing that can be year round yeah we might have to look at uh par- look at partnering with other groups 
Well, and I was going to say, you can, you can parcel some of this out, too, where a lot of uh, organizations that already exist that do guide service, servicing, uh-huh. you can just say, you know, one day a month will you donate, you know, two of your guides to us mm-hmm. that can take these people out. We'll organize everything. They'll have yeah. food. They'll have everything except for, you know, the, the rods and reels and bait and boat and yeah. guide. And you, you just provide rods, reels, bait, and, and the guide. And uh, we'll we'll provide the people, and then you know, on all the posts, they'll know that it came from ABC Guide Service or Joe Joe Guide Service. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say Joe Blow, but you've probably heard that before. I've heard that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your name I use a lot. Yep. The average Joe, cup of Joe. We talked about it in the last podcast, but I even stopped today. I don't know if you noticed on this podcast. I was like, you know, and then just the average person <laughs> I changed it because I didn't want to say the average Joe your average Joe because you're no average Joe I'm I'm a, I'm more than an average you're a, you're a above mediocre Joe that's right at least yeah. I uh, the, the one I used to love to use back in the back in the military was we'd we'd call our example person private schmuckatelli <laughs> I just always liked that <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't and so here I have to tell you what my hurdle is Okay. I have to tell you what my hurdle is. I'm not scared of taking leaps. I love taking leaps. Okay. Would gladly take a leap with you, Joe. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. My real hurdle is I love this podcast so much. Okay. And I've thought that this was the thing. Yeah. Right? Like, like this is what we're going to do to make the money. Yeah. And so, um, and then, you know, this would be our enterprise. Right. And so I'm not against, like, doing something else, but mm-hmm. I, I am going to very reluctantly let go of my death grip on this podcast. I don't want to, I don't want to stop. Well, I don't think you should because at the last couple nonprofits I I worked at, they all wanted a a podcast. They wanted a product that was listenable and that would get their, their news out if they had news or whatever. And, and in every one of them, it was just, you know, if it was the management, if it was, you know, whatever, it just never took off. They, they would want to do something that I just didn't agree with. And I just, I didn't have the skills that they wanted me to have. Um, it, it was all too formulaic for me. And, and I've been trying to create something that's a little bit more genuine and not quite so formulaic. Um, and right. so basically now I've done it, we've done it. We, we've done the thing that most most nonprofits want already. Like we have this golden goose egg that we can now use for whatever we want. Like we've got the pro, we know how to do it. We can invite other people on the show. We can partner with people. We can partner with events. We've got this thing. And so we could have this podcast still and still keep what it, what it is. But w- then maybe twice a month it's, uh, the, the episodes, you know, like uh, Joe Rogan has the MMA ones. Yeah. And I don't really listen to those ones. Right. But we could have the the Joe and Brian nonprofit episode. Yeah. And we'll give know, the nonprofit twice a month. some sort of cool nickname, you know. Um, we But basically, we'd be doing something so similar to Eagle Mount, you know, where you just take vets or, or whoever, or kids, or just... Disabled. Take a group of people yeah. and, and, and give them an opportunity to lead a fuller life and... Um, and if you know how to gather money and resources uh, together for, you know, to, to provide those opportunities, then why not? Right. 
So that's kind of where I'm at. And so what I'm thinking is, is if I could envision this, we wouldn't be in a nonprofit where we'd come in and have our morning meeting and all this bull crap. Well, maybe we'd have meetings and stuff like that, but it would be more so podcast based. Like this is kind of, this is our mode operandi, modem operandi. This is the way we do business. And, um, and in, if we are dealing with anybody else or partnering or doing anything like that, this will be the main, this is going to be the main uh, topic. Like, so yeah, we can do this on the podcast or we can spread that on the podcast or we can make a new segment that you can join us on the podcast with. Like this will be our clout, you know, cause most nonprofits, they're just like, well, Hey, we've got a bunch of people to rub together. They're all like dogs. So we're going to help dogs now. That's great. And they, they do good work. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that we can, um, we can we can um, join forces, and um, and and not just like something, but but use our use our skills, you know, use our skills to provide opportunities for people. So when when the idea was really, um, it was uh, uh, surprisingly the guy that I was partnering up with to do the same idea with, a very similar idea with. His name was Joe as well. That's weird. It's weird. Um, That's the universe but, telling you something. Yeah. But him and I had had the idea that we could actually take it even a step further. I keep trying to move your mic because this is this is bumping right oh, here. Okay. You see that? Uh-huh. I just wanted to let you know. Okay. Um, we had this great idea that if we bought, if we actually owned the land, yeah. So said private land that we want people to hunt on, we actually the nonprofit owned it, right? And we put uh, four little cabins out there. Mm-hmm. And so you actually have donors that are paying to fly um, people from around. Like you could have Make-A-Wish Foundation. You could have, um, you know, so it didn't have to just be veterans. Yeah. The idea kind of started with veterans because him and I were both vets. Okay. Um, but I really wanted to expand because I really care about kids as well. Yeah. And then why be a jerk and exclude just older people that are also destitute, right? Right. And so it just kind of opened up to hurt and, and being allowed giving them an opportunity that they normally wouldn't have to experience Montana and and the hunting outdoors world. Yeah. And so they would come up for a week and it was fully sponsored. And so then, then you start getting into the ideas of like, okay, well, if we had these, you have six different people, groups that come out and they fill up the six weeks of the hunting season, um, every night we're going to have to have somebody to play music. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And somebody to cook. And you, you definitely like, I like to cook. Uh huh. So do you. Yeah. I love right? it. And yep. so then, then maybe it's cooking some of that, that wild game that they've harvested themselves. And, yeah. um, there's, there's so many, I, I really love this idea. It's, it would be like if, if, uh, I used to play, uh, football in high school right let's just say that i didn't uh played Uh soccer let's go with soccer then okay uh playing soccer in high school and and you told me that all you have to do is uh x y and z and you'll be a professional soccer player the rest of your life this idea of the nonprofit that helps people get in the outdoors Mm -hmm. is that for me Uh. that would be like my professional sports like this would be the the thing i want to do Mm-hmm. Is uh, and and I told you I went over for um, I called it garage time with Ken, yeah, and he was kind of explaining to me what I needed in in my my career, being a, a veteran that's been in combat and maybe a little bit of PTSD. Uh-huh. It's hard for me to work for a normal organization, 
mm-hmm. you know, just like be a pastor at a church that's not having problems or, uh, you know, an, a regional director for Childbridge that's not having problems. It's kind of difficult for me. Uh-huh. He's like, he's like, you either need to like find a job that's different every day. And so that's why I'm kind of like looking at this sheriff's department thing. Mm-hmm. Or he said, he literally said, you need to start a nonprofit that takes people in the outdoors. Yep. <laughs> and like, it's literally what I need to do. Mm-hmm. But I just, uh, the, there's a know-how level of how do you, how do you start something like that? How do you, mm-hmm. you know, that I just, I just don't have. And it's, uh, it's, it seems so daunting. Well, I would say, yeah. I mean, it's good to know like what the hurdle is because it just, it seems daunting. There's like, the, there's a couple steps in there that we're foggy on. Right. Right. And even me, like I, maybe I wouldn't, I would, I w- and so that's the cool thing about having a board of directors. Like at first you don't like that idea. You're like, I don't want to deal with other people, but there's a couple people in town that I, that I have in mind that I would love to bring onto a board of directors just so that they could have that. Oh, here's what we should do with the accounting stuff. And Oh, here's the percentage that we should put oh, over. Yeah. Admin right. Stuff. Yeah. Right. You, and, ha- you have to have that. And so we could have that people, but the rest of it, I mean, I, I was basically, um, people liked having me at, at meetings because I'm creative. You know, you give me a problem and all of a sudden my mind just wants to go, oh, let's try this. That's that's why I'm in meetings too, just so you know. Same thing. Like that's that's what I bring to the table. That's perfect because, um, so that's what we're doing. You know, I feel like we both have that in us that we're like, oh, I like solving that problem. Neat. Let's try. Yeah. You know, and then, and then I think we've got to a point in our careers where we're like, well, I, I agree. I am good at that. Why do I do that for everybody else and not myself? Right. So therein lies the, the fear, you know, like, do we ha- do we know what's going to happen? Um, and, and the truth is no, not, not until we get the first grant, you know, cause once the first, the first amount of dollars start coming through the door, well, then we're in territory that I'm okay with. We just set up a, a schedule on what grants we're going to go for when and why put those on the calendar, keep track of the numbers that we're doing and, um, write up really flowery little press releases every, every now and again. You know, that sort of thing. That's kind of what it's like to work in a nonprofit. But I've noticed that most people don't know what the heck they're doing. And that's the good good reason why most of them, I mean, they all have to have a board of directors. And if they're doing it right, they pull in people that are super, super smart. And you should be so lucky to get an hour of their time. Right. You know, heads of banks, uh, people that deal in insurance, uh, people that are really, really good with fundraising even. And for some reason, I'm not worried about that part. You know, the because if you just describe... If we if we do any sort of thing like this, if we just describe that thing that we're doing, I'll be able to describe it in a way, whether it be through writing, media, you know, whatever, that is, it's going to turn people's heads. People are going to want to give to that. Yeah. So, so for some reason, I'm not worried about making money on it because I know that there will be enough. There'll be enough for us to live. There'll be enough to do the projects. And, and um, once we get into the groove of it, I think it would be, you know, I think it's the thing that we're looking for. I think so. I just, I'm also like, well, when, when should we set a meeting and then try to actually do it and take steps in that direction? Because that's a tough part. And, and maybe we take one of my little mini projects on and just go, well, why don't the first thing we do just to see if we like it is just to maybe go to pizzazz and try to do a little cooking (laughs) class just one time see if it's fun. Well, and that's the thing is like a lot of times in life and we're getting close to Great Falls. So we will have to start wrapping this up. I wanted to say it now. Uh, We just passed the landfill 
turn and they just redid this this highway out here it's now a four lane used to be a two lane so nice it's so nice they did montana department of transportation kudos Mm -hmm. kudos to you um but anyway uh i think uh a lot of times when you want to do stuff in life it's like right now and we have to be done you know like we, we have to hit this goal of a nonprofit that owns land and yeah. takes a thousand people out a year when really like okay well like what's a nice little baby step we could do yeah. you know and we were just talking about this for the podcast like let's not plan 10 years out let's just you know what's the next baby step yeah because i think you know? i think that if you're if you take a baby step in the right direction the universe takes two steps towards you you know, and they're like, yep, you're, you, you are right. There's a reason why that was so easy. There's a reason why this other guy's name is Joe. You know, you're, <laughs> you are on the right track. Yeah. And so if we can just identify some baby steps and then maybe even write out our vision, mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's some version of like a type of guy or girl out there that's, you know, maybe at the end of their life or maybe at the end of their time here in Montana and they hear about us and they're like, you know, instead of you know, giving all this land to my kids who, who don't talk to me anymore, you know, maybe I could give it over to this really cool nonprofit, you know, and just have them sign a little contract that says, well, you're only going to use it for this and you guys can use this now and it's your thing. And, and here you go. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I hope, I hope that's what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't want to try to raise, you know, like a million dollars to yeah, buy I was gonna land. Say, for hunting land in Montana. You need a couple million. Yeah. It's a lot. Unless you could just get a kind donor. I'm thinking the kind donor is where I'm going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Raising a million is, is tough. It's doable, but it's tough. Yeah. Well, cool. This is a fun... Um, this is a fun conversation. This is a fun drive, fun conversation. We're talking about cool stuff. I mean, that, this is probably going to sound a little bit better than our bonus episodes, but that was a fun experiment too, you know, just to see if it would work. Yeah. And I've, I decided too, without letting you know, we uh, are uh, definitely going to put up the bonus episode. Bam. On Saturday. Because, because like, why not? Yeah. Why not? Even if it sounds bad, we think there might be a little bit more road no- noise. You yeah. might not be able to hear us as well. Uh-huh. If that's the case and you don't want to listen, you can turn it off. Yeah, it's fine. But like, we want to put more content out there for you guys. Mm-hmm. I'll have this edited. Um, at some point tomorrow I'll just do a quick try to get a little bit of the background noise out of there and I'll just bring the um, SD card over to you physically because I don't want to mess with trying to upload anything okay Um, and so the bonus episode will be out Saturday that's when I'm going to schedule it cool so the bonus episode will be out Saturday I hope your Thursday is going well everyone this oh yeah I hope you've if you've been listening while on a drive to Haver you've just gone in reverse order of us that's cool. If you're coming from Haver to Great Falls, hey, this podcast is almost the perfect amount of time. We did eat a burrito mm-hmm. uh, when leaving Haver, and we didn't want to eat the burrito and podcast. So we started right. we started a little bit uh, before we got to Box Elder. Yeah. So uh, if, if you'd like to listen to a podcast and you, you want it for the exact amount of time to get to from Great Falls to Haver, this is the podcast for you. If you know a friend that's traveling between Great Falls and Haver, send them this podcast and say, listen, man, this one's the exact amount of time. And you get to hear about um, starting a nonprofit and setting goals in life. Brainstorming stuff. Um, I have come up with the name for the last four episodes. So, Joe, you're coming up with the name for this episode. Okay. It's Um, coming from you. Okay, I'll think of it. And right now, while we're recording, I'm going to take the the picture for the album art 
This is this is this is what's going to be on the album. You got to smile or something. There we go. Bam! We got it. We got the picture for the album art from the vehicle. Nice work. And you, if you're looking at that album art right now, just know, hey, that's when that happened. That's when that happened. I was there for that. While they were doing it. Everybody knows where they were when 9-11 happened. You'll know where you were when that picture was taken. Yeah. Um, it was right there. Right there. Right there. That's where you were. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We really enjoy you guys. We enjoy each other. And we hope that you've been uh, enjoying this podcast and all the 39 that have come before it. Yep. We're, we're right around the corner from 50. And then there's just going to be exciting stuff happening from there, uh, of which I, I do not know. Because this is just an adventure every day. I'm just going to try to be prepared for it. Boom. I hope you are, too. Adventuring every day. I've been Brian. I've been Joe. We'll, we'll see, see you next show. show.